Hello, my loves. This is Lior Alexandra. Welcome to the Inner Worlds Podcast, a place where we explore the microcosm of ourselves, of one another, of the whole universe, a journey inward through thought, idea, and wonder. my loves and welcome to this episode of inner worlds where i have a conversation with matchmaker and dating coach dr taylor burrows we talk about a range of topics regarding becoming our ideal self in order to have happier more fulfilling relationships not just romantically but with ourselves as well so on this podcast i strive to showcase different perspectives and various conversations that offer ideas and viewpoints that can benefit our own individual experience Sometimes certain things can be triggering. You know, that happens to me when I listen to other podcasts and other points of view. But I always say to follow your triggers like breadcrumbs in order to transcend them and become more whole, happier versions of ourselves. I really hope that you enjoy today's conversation. If you do, please leave me a review. Please message me on Instagram or Twitter. Comment, let me know on YouTube or send me an email. I'm looking out for them and I'm hoping that you really love the podcast and I will continue it. Without further ado, let's get into the vetting process, dating and our ideal self with Dr. Taylor Bros. I am very much the type of person that when I want to get something right, when I want to perfect something, I will consult experts on it. I'll read all the books, I'll take all the courses, and I'll speak with people who have made the certain thing that I'm trying to make happen work in their lives. So I've noticed in myself over the last couple of years that I have a lot more work to do when it comes to having happy, healthy relationships, especially romantic relationships. And I do believe that this is a never ending evolution. We continue to get better and better as we expand and learn more about ourselves, our partners, and the dynamics of healthy relationships. So on this journey of becoming healthier for our relationship and in a relationship, I stumbled across the beautiful Dr. Taylor Burroughs. <laughs> Um, hi. Taylor, hi, my love. So I'm going to introduce you right now. I'm going to bring her in. Taylor is a retired mental health counselor and marriage therapist who now works as an online coach, consultant, and a matchmaker, which I haven't even heard of people doing that in a very long time. That's very, very cool and very necessary, I think, especially nowadays. So we actually started following each other on Twitter. I got a session with Taylor and I read her book and I was really impressed with the vetting process that she's created to help people to better select partners and the self-development work that comes with that and the work that you do with your clients to help them to be better partners. So thank you for making the time to talk with me, Taylor. So good Absolutely. to Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for making the time for me. I'm excited. I was wondering if you could start with maybe telling the audience, the B community, a little bit about how you got into this work, how your life led you here. Oh gosh, yes. I'll try to do the abridged version. <laughs> 
So I am a retired mental health and marriage and family therapist. That's kind of the the easy uh, road to explain. So I retired a couple of years ago and it was a few things, but basically I was well sorted in regards to my profession and I felt like I was happy and as a single woman and stable, but I was post-divorce and I was, it took me some time to really process how did a marriage therapist like myself end up divorced? And so I took some Mm -hmm. time, a few years, and I did a deep dive on myself and tried to piece together the information that I learned in school and in my practice and filled the gaps that I realized were lacking in that formal education. And so I did a lot of self-study and like just did a lot a broad search online and I found a lot of people on Twitter and delved into that. So then I added that to my repertoire and I didn't formalize the vetting process at the time, but I started to implement a new way of thinking. And then as I developed my business, I made it formal and I started to articulate the process that made sense to me and seemed to work for my new clients as a coach. And there you have it. That's how I wrote the book. So I feel like our life paths really have in what we end up doing with our career and how we help other people. It really has to come from a place of necessity, like going through that thing ourselves and going through that journey ourselves. That's what I do online. I don't know anything. I just learn and then teach as I go. Right. So I think that that personal touch where you found yourself in this career and going through a divorce, I'm sure that gives you such a unique perspective on that. Yeah. My clients seem to really appreciate it. Like, cause I know from both sides, what is it like when it doesn't work and what is it like when it does? Yeah, that's really an important aspect of it. So what stood out to me most in your book, Taylor, it's something that I'm in full agreement with too, and something that I think could be misunderstood with self-love and kind of like the self-development community. But it seems that you do advise people who are searching for relationships and people who are in relationships already to bring the focus onto themselves more so than trying to change how other people are. And I may, may have misunderstood that, but kind of like how they show up in the world and how to develop themselves in order to see themselves in happier relationships. Is that kind of an accurate yes. representation? To me, the way that I would describe it is like sort of that ego that we have that we're not always conscious of. And I mean, obviously we all have an ego, but when it is not serving our best interests, it has a way of projecting our desires onto the world. And so then we seek something out there that we think is going to fulfill us. So we make it into a fantasy, some kind of fantasy version of that object, right? That's going to bring us happiness. And we do that with people when we're dating. And so my process allows you to really unlearn a lot of that socialization or just those influences that really, um, cause us to, to like pressure us to do this selfishly. It's like right. a gratification system that we're acting in, mm-hmm. right? So instead of uh, first unlearning that, instead of projecting that ego out onto, you know, I want a tall, dark and handsome guy with like a, a 
thick bank account and da, 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 da. You're actually looking at yourself first and you're determining what your strengths and weaknesses are and what are the qualities that yeah. make you authentically you and bring the breath, the best out in you and projecting. It's like, you have to think about who the compliment would be for that person. And so that's the person that you're going to be best matched with, but you don't look for them. You just live your life the best that you can as that person, that ideal self. And I love this concept of the ideal self in your book. I loved it so much, Taylor. And I want to talk more about that. But first, a little bit more about vetting I wanted to ask. So so the the process was called the ideal relationship system, right? I, I think it's been rebranded into the vetting system. Yes. Someone pointed out that it yeah. was the IRS. And then I was like, okay, yeah, wait, that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize that. I love that. So, but it's such, the book is so good. And, and I got so much value out of it and was able to really take those things, even being in a relationship right now and apply them to my relationship to better it. But I want to talk a little bit about that process. What is vetting and why should people be doing this while they're dating or even in a relationship? Yeah, because it works when you're already in a relationship too. Basically, vetting is the process of getting to know someone or people in general. Instead of focusing on jumping into dating, because that word is so diluted like it just doesn't really have like one singular meaning anymore uh, and vetting gets us back to more of a classic outlook where things were maybe in the olden days but we don't want to like typecast ourselves as like out of date it's just taking what worked way back then right. and modernizing it so I mean I'm a modern woman I'm not I'm not a trad con what do they call them like tra traditional conservative woman like in the 1950s that is not me at all but people are so scared to right. look backwards and learn from the past and history I mean they love looking at the past and like repeating old wounds and and bad things but they don't like to take uh -huh. the good things from the past which is ironic anyway I find that it's a little bit of a renaissance right the vetting system is a renaissance to courting yes. but in modernizing it it's really just about getting off dating apps stop jumping ahead into bed or just into like a superficial relationship and just focus on getting to know someone mm -hmm. and pace that process uh, with time so that you don't get too far ahead of yourself before you've organically connect connected to someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I can see that, that it's kind of like a renaissance of those core values, yeah. right? So what, what do you think did work back then that the vetting system kind of takes people through? Well, and modernizes. Well, the one thing was that it was nearby, right? Like there was a proximity to getting to know people. So you were introduced mm. to people who were familiar to your family. And there wasn't this sort of detachment that happened, this anonymity as much, right? So I, there was a level of just awareness of what a person's character was, what kind of like family they came from, what were their values. And then knowing more about the person, people would tend right. to connect on things that were shared values. And so instead of it being based on looks or 
money or lifestyle, you know, just from like more of a, of a self-interested way. It was more about the depth of a person. That's why it tended to work better and had a longevity to the relationship because people were connecting. Well, one, their level of commitment was probably more founded on, on investing in a lifelong relationship. Now it seems like people are just ready to cut and run so fast, right? So I think it's a mixture of things. I, I really agree with that, Taylor. I feel like one of the things that's really missing in modern dating is that focus on shared value and that kind of like, why are you dating? You know, we kind of, and it's not to cast judgment on the way that anybody lives their lives. It's just more like I, I, you know, I work also and, and talk to thousands of people Every day I, I see comments about people searching for their ideal relationship or their ideal, their specific person, their partner. And I think that in that process, the, the understanding of shared values has completely been forgotten for women who are just start, or women and men, right? How are we supposed to understand or kind of evaluate what our values are? Yeah, a lot of people don't know. So that's, I think, a good point to start at is really evaluating what is important to you, what matters, because a lot of times we're just repeating what's been told to us or what's, you know, what society says is important, kind of like the virtue signaling that's happening a lot, like people are just sort of... Um, dictated to of what what causes matter. And if you, you don't fall in line with those causes, then you're a bad person, right? So to, I have a lot of clients who are actually examining themselves for the first time and really looking at, is this something that I agree with? Is this something that I really believe? Or is it something that I'm just, you know, sort of pressured to stand up and be angry about or fight for because that's what the news is telling me uh, I should be doing, right? Or I'm right. scared to be outcast, right? A lot of people feel that way. So they're starting to examine their views about gender roles, about a lot of these social issues that that are, you know, I mean, it's a, trust me, I'm an ex official, pro, like professional advocate of social justice. So I get it. Like it's important to care and have compassion about marginalized groups. But some of the rhetoric that we're fed is quite just, you know, it's like inflated. It's, it's inflammatory. So I think a lot of it has other motives attached to it when people don't really necessarily know why they believe something that they do. So it's kind of like getting around all that subversion and all the, the things that we're being fed and starting to understand what am I, what do I feel compassionate about or towards and what do I care about and how do I want to show up in the world and what matters to me? Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like creating, you know, I, I, I don't really, I saw you tweeting about frame the other day and I don't really understand that concept, but it kind of feels like it's appropriate here. Almost like understanding your own frame. Is that related at all over here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we don't really talk about frame as much with women, but we have our own frame, right? It's sort of implicit when you talk about like the man uh, usually is, is supposed to have more of that implicit confidence where he really doesn't feel like he's perturbable, right? <laughs> like you can, you can flail and you can shout and you can, you know, be emotionally volatile and he stays steady 
and firm and objective, right? Like if we right. talk about that's the masculine, yes, stereotypical mm-hmm. masculine and feminine energy, yeah. um, that would be more of the the masculine influence there. So it's important for men to feel like they can endure that type of chaos, right? But it doesn't mean that that's all that men are and that's all that women are. Women are not just chaos. Women can be very objective and very rational and very fair as well. So it's more just about being fluid with, you know, that energy. Like you really need to make sure that you're working together in harmony when you're in a relationship. But it's not like the frame should shift so much in my view, right? Like I believe that ultimately okay. it's best for in a, in a heterosexual relationship, it's best for the man to maintain that sort of bias towards the masculine energy and the woman to maintain the bias towards the feminine energy, right? Does that make sense? Yes, totally. No, I was just saying people often object because they're like, but what about this person? What about that person? And there's nothing... I don't think there's anything wrong with homosexual or other types of sexualities in a relationship, but I don't necessarily talk to that audience, right? So when I when I tweet okay, or whatever, yes. I'm coming from the frame of reference of a heterosexual monogamous couple. Right, totally. So that makes sense, of course, and we're going to need you know, there's all different types of relationships. We're going to need to know how to navigate all different types of relationships and heterosexual relationships exist, right? So we're going to need some sort of structure for that. I do think that what I've noticed in homosexual relationships or other types of relationships, there's always going to be still that play of energies, right? Mm -hmm. Of that masculine and feminine in whatever partners. So there's always ways to apply these things and, you know, depending on how a person kind of identifies and how they feel more masculine and more or more feminine. I know when we had our session, I was telling you how I in in my relationships and as a person tend to feel more masculine, even though people don't seem to see me in that way. Mm-hmm. Kind That's just how I feel. And that's something that I have to work through myself because in my past relationships, I've seen that that overbearing masculine energy kind of makes my partners more feminine. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like they have to balance me out and that hasn't made me happy in the past. So it's really important to understand that play of energy within each one of us and how that shows up in our relationships, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's the polarity that I talk about. So we really want to maintain that. And Yeah, I agree. If you run a business, if you're an intelligent woman, if you're an extrovert, I mean, there's lots of different personality characteristics or behavioral characteristics that will sort of encourage you to be more masculine in general, right? So I always advise women who have that tendency to try to compensate and focus on strengthening their weak side. So even like in yoga, you know, when you do the alternate nostril breathing, when I was in a very masculine time in my life, it was so clear because I was doing yoga every day at that time. I practiced a lot. It was clear that my masculine side was so dominant and my feminine side was completely detached. And I was almost like suppressing it because I was ashamed of it. I was afraid of it. I just didn't feel comfortable being feminine. And so that was a part of my process that I told you about when I was single. And and I really dug deep and I discovered my femininity and I befriended her. And it was scary at first because it was so intense, right? That chaos that comes with really connecting with your true untethered femininity and then learning how to integrate 
right? And so that process is really important for all of us to do. And it, it, it's not that you cannot have a job or a business or be self-sufficient. You should be, but you have to balance your energy out. And if you don't, it's going to create these problems in your relationships. Right. Right. And I've really had to, especially in the past year or so, especially with the the pandemic, the quarantine and all that, I had a lot of more time to be by myself and be home. And I noticed that inside of me and I picked up certain practices and started to try. You know, I, I still talk about the fact that I see myself as more masculine because I think it helps a lot of people and it explains a little bit of, you know, what I'm going through and my, my own struggle with that. But I am trying to, to see myself as more feminine just because it just feels better to me, just feels more right to me. But what are some of the practices or things that you did to connect with that feminine side of yourself? Well, I was like a national beach volleyball player. So it was a lot of yang activity, you know, like really strong focus on physicality and in the sports realm like it's a very just the way that you interact with people it's also very masculine right like there's a lot of shit talking and whatnot right so when I got out of that and I really sort of leaned into the yoga and I softened and I addressed my anxieties and I looked at my breath and I listened I didn't talk as much I really got a little bit more reserved because um, I'm actually a mixture of introverted and extroverted so I think for people, I mean, we, me too. Yeah, like a lot of times people just chalk it up to they're extroverted or they're introverted, but you really can practice different behaviors so that you can be more fluid with that process. And obviously, you're going to have a default that you feel most comfortable in, but just because you're comfortable there doesn't mean that you can't shift a little bit when necessary. So that's also self regulation, right? Like the more that you have mastery over, the way that you think and the way that you feel and, and the, the actions that you do, the more fluid you become, the more resilient and adaptive you become. And that's really important in that ideal self-development too. So I would say slowing down, listening more, getting in touch with your sensuality, not sexuality necessarily. Like there's a difference, but it's closely related, but I think they're both important. But when you are struggling with your feminine, the sensuality piece is so key. So it's really, you know, being able to connect with your senses, literally like your- Totally agree. Your, your sight, your smell, your taste, your, your t- the textures, all of those yeah. senses bring you pleasure and we overlook them and minimize them so much. So that can help slow us down and ground us. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I do a lot of work with like archetypes and different spheres of consciousness that relate to maybe the planets or plants and things like that. And I think it's so interesting to bring the sensuality back in for, uh, to bring femininity into your life because it's like Venus. Venus is this goddess of sensuality and she loves um, things that feel good and that smell good and beautiful things, looking at beautiful things. Really, it's that simple, I found. I, and I love that you're validating that for me because it's it really does seem that simple bringing different energies, you know, some women and some men, everything in between that 
might want to be a little bit more masculine. There's ways to tap into that and to tap into the archetype of that. But I totally agree with you. It's just kind of slowing down and yoga and being in our body. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, it was a lot of getting out of my body because I was scared of exactly like you were saying, Taylor. I was scared of that feminine aspect of myself. I was uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be looked at as a woman, really. Yeah. And I think that could, that goes back to trauma and that goes, right. So it goes back to all these different things. Taylor, you're in a relationship with your ideal person. Do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about that and and that process of getting into that? Yeah. It's a pretty cool story. (laughs) I don't mind sharing it because I think it brings hope to people too, especially in, you know, the pandemic era. (laughs) Do you want me to just tell you how we (laughs) met and go from there? Yeah, please. Yeah, I'd love to hear. So I get very Mm -hmm. excited when I talk about it. So um, you'll see my feminine side. But basically, (laughs) Dennis and I, we met on Twitter because we both work, build our businesses starting from Twitter and and online in general. But um, we were in the same circles. And first of all, it was like his picture, right? Uh, That's the first thing is you look at someone, you have your, your visual attraction, I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong if you don't dig behind that. But uh, yes, I thought he was attractive and the things that he said caught my eye, caught my attention and it escalated slowly to, you know, DMs, Instagram, and then eventually to a phone call and video calls. And it took nine months. So nine months of vetting each other on online, but it wasn't a dating app. So I, I like to clarify that Twitter is the best dating app out there. Like you right. use Twitter, Instagram appropriately, use the vetting system with it, but they're definitely very effective. And so after nine months, which is hard, right? Because a lot of people, you know, they don't know what to do in that time period when you're, you're kind of attaching to someone. What are we? What's going to happen next? Your anxieties are going crazy. Like, when are we going to meet? There's a lot that goes on in that period of time. And that's when you need the most support to stay calm and to stay grounded, to stay focused on other things that are important to you. Like, you have to have other things going on, right? Like, I was building my business, so it was easy for me to be distracted and, and not get too ahead of myself. And he was traveling. Latin America. So he was all over the place in Colombia and Mexico and Argentina. And so I'm over here. I was in uh, Cayman Islands, Miami. And uh, I'm wondering, is he meeting girls? Like what's going on? I'm looking at his social media. I'm reading his emails because he's an email marketer. And I just kept telling myself, just trust him. You know, like you don't have any hold on him. He can do what he wants, but trust him. If he's a good person, he's not going to be doing X, Y, Z or, you know, nothing that's violating any kind of terms of agreement. So in reverse though, I advise women to, once you know, you're really interested in someone to be exclusive, just to give it, not to give an ultimatum, but just to Assume exclusivity on your end because a man needs to know that you've selected him and that you're loyal, but also just for you. It clears away a lot of the cobwebs and men and women are ultimately different. Our biology is different. We function differently. And being able to be healthy as a single woman without needing sexual connection is really important. And so if you can 
detach from all of that attention and really allow yourself to focus on you. But then if you have an interest, just pick him and allow time to play itself out. And a lot of times people will just rush. They're impatient. They want the answers. And so that process is so character building. Not that I encourage long distance relationships, but when you have to, you want to plan for a meeting, but you have to go through that period of time patiently and not get panicked. And so once we met, it just all fell into place. And so then it went quickly after the nine months. We met in Miami, and then he came back a month later, and then he went off to travel Europe, and then he invited me to meet him in Saigon, in uh, Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, and then we did three months traveling in Southeast Asia, and then came here to Arizona right before the pandemic hit. Wow. This, this is where his family is, so now we're, we're firmly rooted here. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. I've seen pictures of you guys. You're so beautiful. The family is beautiful. Oh. Um, so I have... Uh, a lot of questions based on that, on that story. Mm -hmm. So I have a friend who's a dating coach as well. She does it mostly on Instagram. And it's interesting to me to see your different perspectives on things because she gets a lot of feedback, sometimes negative feedback on her approach. And I'm sure that you might as well, Taylor, for your approach of saying, you know, just pick him and kind of be patient and choose. Mm -hmm. So my, my friend, what she actually advises women is to date many men. Don't be uh, physical or intimate with any of them, but date many men. And that's kind of like her vetting system. Right. So do you think that there's any benefit in kind of dispersing your energy in that way? Or no, I really don't. It's one thing when in the beginning you're getting to know people. Like let's say you're totally single, you have no men in your right. life, and you you run into someone at the coffee shop, you're chatting to someone online, but you really don't know anybody. You're not obligated to anybody. In that very beginning phase, you're just a single person getting to know other human beings with no particular mm -hmm. intentions, right? But as you right. continue to have conversations, you start to develop interest and feelings. And so at some point, you'll feel it inside. You'll feel like when you're talking to someone, you don't really want to be talking to them. You wish it was someone else, right? You, you know it when it happens. Yeah, totally. And you, when you fight that feeling, something, it, it, it creates a ripple of energetic turmoil, right? This is my suggestion. If we're going to go esoteric, like you really need to be true and authentic to those feelings that you have. And it's just clutter. So being able to be honest with yourself and transparent with that other person, it's really important to learn how to detach from things that are not right for you. If we don't learn how to say, you know, no, I'm sorry, I'm not really interested. I have other things going on. It was a pleasure getting to know you, whatever, be tactful, but don't let things perpetuate just because you want company, you want to keep yourself busy, you want validation, you want attention that this is a really important quality right. to develop in ourselves. And so once it gets to that point, I don't know how long it's going to take for you to reach that point, but you know it when you're there. And so I'm just encouraging you to really be honest with yourself when you get there and make a decision. So speaking of on an energetic level, on a more esoteric level, mm -hmm. so do you feel like there's, I guess, I think that you actually kind of answered this in your own story. So sometimes when we have our sights on a specific person, what I've seen a lot of people say is we, we, and what I've seen with my girlfriends and my friends, my guy friends as well, is that 
we put too much energy and they don't see that they're doing this. It's kind of a subconscious thing. We're throwing all our energy onto this person and so much energy thrown on this person. Like I choose you, I'm here, like no matter what might make them a little bit resistant or even I saw this written in a book somewhere that sending so much energy and somebody kind of like forces them back. It almost repulses Mm -hmm. them. What do you think people should be doing while they you know, I, and I do think that you answered this. You were starting your business yes. while you, um, <laughs> while you were waiting in that vetting process, right? Yeah. And not that everyone can, you know, work for themselves, but it truly is a great parallel process of learning how to accept the risk and taking all the accountability and being patient and perseverant through the process. I mean, there's just such an amazing parallel there. So if you do get an opportunity to try that, uh, it will teach you a lot that will make you a lot more effective in the vetting process and, you know, finding someone for an ideal relationship. But it is important to learn this self-regulation, right? And I think that's, to me, what your question is really relating to because putting all that energy on someone else is not healthy. That's definitely not what I'm suggesting when I say put all your eggs in one basket or pick someone. It doesn't actually mean that you're putting all of that pressure onto them. What it means is you surrender. You surrender your interest to a person that you've selected energetically. And and because you're doing that, you're basically letting go and trusting the process and you're bringing your best self to the table. But that means you're doing all the work for you, right? Like you're learning to, you know, lower your anxieties, to preoccupy yourself in a healthy ways and to really trust that time will bring you the next step in the right time. Like you can't, you really can't force the time aspect. And it's so undervalued because like with gardening, I usually use this analogy, you know, you have to give the plant, I have some plants here, right? You have to give the plant like the sunlight, the water, you have to give it time, you have to give it the food. But if you rush it, you're going to kill it, you're going to smother it, you're going to make it go dry if you don't pay attention to what it needs. So with any kind of nourishment or, or nurturing, you know, you really need to be mindful of all the factors and not force it because there's an element of just just nature, you know, that you have to allow to evolve and reveal itself. That's so beautiful. And it's so synchronistic, Taylor, because I was just yesterday listening to a podcast about relationships as well. You know, I'm going full all in into this. So, and in that podcast, the the guest that was speaking was saying almost exactly the same thing. It's like a relationship needs that nurturing and that time to fully develop Mm -hmm. and that people usually will plant their seeds with their partner and then not wait long enough to, to reap the, the harvest, Absolutely. right? So not to, to, not to turn this into um, a session with you, but <laughs> based on my life, but I feel like, I feel like sharing my experiences and, and kind of talking yeah. about that might really help somebody. So I feel like I've noticed a cycle in my own relationship life that the universe keeps bringing to me because it kind of, I feel like it's, it's offering me almost an initiation, like break this cycle and something amazing is going to happen. Right. So that is a cycle of, do I know when to walk away and am I strong enough to walk away? So in the past, I haven't been strong enough to walk away from relationships. I kind of stayed until they get, would get horrible and I would have no choice. I would take agency away from myself. So I'd really wait for them to just completely spoil. But now I'm kind of in this situation where I'm 
concerned that I've developed a habit of running away and I'm not really sure how to discern when to stay in a relationship and do the work and when to walk away and break cycles. Do you know what, how you would guide somebody to know when it, they've had enough time in that relationship and it's time to walk away? Yeah, this question is very common. People struggle with this crossroads a lot. And yeah, I don't want to necessarily pick up, pick on you and ask you a bunch of questions <laughs> and pry, but I think that it's important to one, acknowledge what you have already tried and what you've already done. And I don't know everyone's history, right? When they ask me this question, you could have done a millions, a million of things, millions of things, <laughs> or maybe like it's the first <laughs> time that you're going to try to resolve it or create some kind of solution an effort that's different than what you've done before. So let's just talk about in general, the formula that I use with people just to try to simplify it. It's not that it is this simple, but it can help as a tool just to think about it differently. Logic plus desire plus love equals an ideal relationship. So the logic part is usually where people get stuck. The desire is obviously the sexual chemistry, right. the physical attraction, the infatuation piece. And the love is really the secure attachment. So that's like more of the companionship and the, the investment in someone that you've developed, that tie that binds you. So people will often have, like if you were to rate them, you know, you put a number to it just for kicks and giggles, just to try to, to create um, some kind of visual you could have like a 10 out of 10 in sexual desire and you could have like an eight out of 10 in the love aspect, but the logic is really like a two or a three, right? And so when you look at that contrast there, right. it's a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's two out of three <laughs> or those are really high. So it's okay. I'm just going to justify it. But I've reduced it down to these three elements to really emphasize the importance of having sufficient levels of all three. And it usually will not work. Uh, I mean, things can have like have the ability to maintain or sustain, but not in a healthy way, right? So I'm not talking about people who just truck along complacently, well, they're together, but they're not happy. So I'm not talking about those cases. I'm talking about true, fulfilling attachments, right? So in that case, you need to have at least above five in all of those categories. Yeah, the higher, the better. But you want to at least have, you know, a sufficient amount in all three. And the logic part is really the compatibility and the complementarity, the sexual polarity, the personality, harmony, the integrated masculine, feminine, all of that stuff needs to really flow well. Right. Okay. And I... We somehow managed to do 40 minutes without talking about our ideal self. And that is something that I think we all want to hear about, Taylor, because I, I, I know my community and myself, we're constantly working on evolving ourselves and becoming better versions of ourselves. And exactly how we were starting our conversation today, it's like, in order to be in a happy relationship, we have to be happy with ourselves, right? At a certain level. So I'd love to hear, I already know kind of from your book, which is amazing and everybody should get it and read it. But I feel like I, I'd love for you to say kind of how do we become our ideal version, our ideal self? I mean, obviously it's a very conceptual idea. So it is important to get practical so that you can action it and feel like empowered, like you're doing something and you're working towards that. But ultimately it, it's going to take having both 
the goal, which is the horizon of the ideal self and the reality of where you are. So you need to be able to say, "My here's who I am. I accept myself how I am, however I show up. I'm okay with that, but I also want to take accountability and strive towards that ideal. Now, that doesn't mean perfect. That's what a lot of people assume, that ideal means perfect. It doesn't, not in this context, right? So your ideal self is really your becoming your best version. And you may never, ever reach that place. It's not a destination. That's why I call it a horizon. So it's approaching that and making an effort, having energy going towards that direction, of your ideal self at all times because you're going to fall backwards you got to pick yourself up you got to walk forward and keep going that's how life is but a lot of people just stay stagnant in complacency or mediocrity and then they wonder why they have all these problems not just in relationships but in their own health right they're unhappy they're depressed they're anxious they're out of shape they're broke like all of these are symptoms of often a deeper issue that I mean, as a retired mental health professional, there are cases of clinical organic mental illness, but a lot of the problems that we see are behavioral. They come from this deep existential unhappiness that people struggle with and society doesn't make it any easier. So it's, it's despite whatever's happening in the world, you need to take responsibility for yourself and you have to figure out you know, what do you want? Like, who, who is this person you want to become? Because ultimately, it's not just one, one singular true self. I talk about this a lot, too. Uh, you are a, like a multitude of selves. Uh, there's a lot of different theories out there that you could reference. Like, there's internal family systems theory. There's ego state theory. Uh, but ultimately, if you recognize you are like an in- infinity of possibilities, inside of you. You're a whole universe. You can really access the ones that you you feel proud of, right? Not the ones that you feel ashamed of or the ones that, that you don't like or you're uncomfortable with. You can really choose and practice how to be the things that you really like about yourself more. But also you need to have the effectiveness of being able to tap into maybe the things that you don't like when you need them, right? So that's about integration as well, because the shadow side, those elements that you don't like and that you feel ashamed of could be really helpful (laughs) in certain circumstances. So knowing how to flux and flow between all of those is important, but picking the things that really just make you light up, they bring radiance to to your life, right? Those are the things that you want to, to bring forward and to make more effort in being. So I can't tell you what that is. You have to decide that. You have to go through the journey. And I walk with people on that path to really discover what those elements are. So I I hope that's enough of an answer to to your question. Yeah, no, completely. And I think it's so beautiful. I think it's such a fun journey to self-discovery, right? Mm -hmm. To figure out what lights you up, what is important to you. It's, It's really taking our desire for relationship and for a partner and commitment and kind of committing to ourselves for a while, Mm -hmm. right? And discovering, well, how, what kind of partner am I? And what kind of person am I? Let's figure that out first before we make our list of ideal things that we want in another person. That's exactly right. And going back to your question before, it's, you can see it on people's dating profiles. It's like what I was saying, I want this, this and that. But when you're saying, this is who I am, and I'm really proud of these things. And this is what matters to me. 
I want to have a happy, healthy family, you know, with a husband who whatever, whatever it is that you want. But this is what I'm bringing into that life. This is what I want to manifest and what, how I want that person to feel and what I want to do for them. So it's more about giving than receiving or taking. And I think that's where people, especially women, need to explore because that's the femininity piece. It's the service. It's the surrender. It's the giving. It's the nurturing, the nourishing, all of those qualities. If you don't feel comfortable with them, uh, then you're really closing yourself off and you're, you're probably going to pick a very unhealthy partner or at least someone who will be unhealthy for you. That's right. Taylor, that was a beautiful definition of finding your ideal self and that journey. I love that so much. It's a good place to leave off. But before I, uh, we close things out, I always like to ask my guests if there's any books on the topic that we talked about today that they would recommend. Of course, there's your book, right? Sure, yeah. And if there's any <laughs> other books that you... Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a reading list that I recommend. Um, I put it in my workbook. That's, you know, it's a paired workbook with the ebook, but you can buy it separately. And there's so many different aspects that I think are important. But for a lot of them, it's about attachment. Attachment is a really important topic that I think most people, especially persons who've experienced trauma or have had tumultuous parenting experiences when they were little, they need to look at their attachment styles and how that plays out. Secure attachment is so important, but you first need to securely attach to yourself, right? So that, I think that's the reframe right. there is really looking into that. And, you know, I always forget the names off the top of my head, but people can comment and I'll respond in the comments. The power of attachment? <laughs> I, it's not that one, but it's, uh, I think it's just called like attachment by two different authors. I forget their names, sorry. But um, the other ones are more about like, but the, the general topic of attachment is very important. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Right. Is that very, very yeah. important? <laughs> yes. There's some books that are about like, I call it accountability, but it, or self-regulation, but stoicism even like books about stoicism really help you learn how to self-regulate. You want to, to look into emotional intelligence. And this is a really important concept that's I don't know if it was coined by Daniel Goleman, but he's the real proponent of it in the psychology world, right? So he talks about emotional intelligence in a way that I, I, I veer away from, but the basics are the same. So emotional intelligence is really not about being overly sympathetic. It's more about self-awareness and empathy in a way that you're able to take perspective of the other person and then communicate or interact in a way that brings out positive outcomes. So it's really just having that level of efficiency Beautiful. between people, right? And that, making those connections healthy. I love that. So we're, we want to look into attachment, self-regulation, stoicism, emotional intelligence. That, that's a really good list. Um, I, I'm going to go find books about this right after our talk, because like I said, <laughs> I'm such a book nerd and I need, when I'm interested in something, I just dive in and obsess over it. That's just how I am. And you've been such a help in that. And I'm so glad that I got to talk to you today and that I got to introduce you to my audience and my community. Thank you so much. Where can people find you, Taylor? I'll link everything below. Sure. But <laughs> uh, well, Twitter is the place that I'm probably most um, present on and then Instagram as well. And my YouTube channel, I'm still trying to make sure I'm putting out videos, but 
those are the three most most uh, common places you can find me. Um, but I'm happy to talk to people. I do give out free 15-minute consults. So that's a good place just to get to know me and see if we're a good fit to talk more. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, my loves. I will have Taylor's information all listed in the podcast description. You know where to find me. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I love you. Thank you for listening. As always, keep your vibrations way, way, way up. And remember to honor the universe inside of you. Bye.